Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and we have a special show we're doing today. We've tried this once before. It's a Real Voices of the Game Spotlight. We did it with my son Tanner about three weeks back, and we've got a great perspective on the game from an umpire, um, longtime umpire here. So we're excited to have that second chance to do a spotlight, episode 177 on our network. Before we introduce our guest, just want to thank our 17,400 subscribers download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. Make sure you follow the last two so we can battle the analytics of the podcast world just like we do in baseball. We can keep providing you great content every week if you continue to do so. Get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram if you want to engage. I get one question live every day. The others get their questions answered privately, but I get back to everybody. We're hitting up 72 countries right now. We're listening to our show, Grassroots, all the way up to Major League Baseball front offices. So we do have the ear of the people that are supposed to be growing the game right now. All we're trying to do is build a better baseball IQ. And always my little precursors to the show is, as we begin now, audience, prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths about baseball. Because this program, like all of the shows on our network, we have no time for the comfortable lies. Um, And with that, I want to welcome to our show a 30-plus year veteran of umpiring. And he's, he's got a, he was talking earlier in the show about a interesting uh, anecdote he heard on our, one of our other shows. I'll let him get to that as well. But 30 plus years in the umpiring business, a graduate 2011 of the Harry Wendelstead Umpire School, former staff member and umpire with the Big South, the Southern Conference, the Peach Belt Conference Carolinas and the South Atlantic Conference. Currently on the fill-in list for minor league baseball, but as you'll learn through this show, this is a highly credentialed professional right here, and he's going to get to why he's opted for this route in umpiring, kind of taking a little less uh, lesser role in professional baseball. Because, ladies and gentlemen, this is a guy that could be and should be umpiring every day. We need him. We need him back in our game full time. So, with that, I want to introduce Brad Thede to our show. Brad, welcome to our show. Great supporter of our show. Great supporter of our in social media. Um, Great conversations with you off the air, and I'm, I'm excited for our audience to share just the character and confidence that you bring to baseball. Dave, thank you very much for for having me, and and um, you kind of referenced it earlier, but I just wanted to tell you thank you for your time that you spent with Jim Cott. It was awesome. Um, Jim is a national treasure. Um, it reminds me a lot of guys like Tim McCarver and Johnny Miller with the Giants. These guys are guys that people should be listening to more often to kind of give them perspective because they really do have a lot of knowledge. And, and I listened to your whole interview with him and he was spot on with everything. And I felt like I was sitting in the room with you guys, just, just eating it up. So thank you for that. Oh, no worries. And yeah, Jim and I do a show every Friday called Cots Corner. And we talk almost every day. We text back and forth about things that he's seen in the game and you're right on the money with him. He's, he's a phenomenal individual true gentleman. And uh, my son and I got a chance to spend the afternoon with him last Friday on his way to Cal Ripken's golf tournament. And a uh, great treat for my son, great treat for me. And it was just straight baseball for a couple hours while we ate pulled pork sandwiches, drank uh, unsweet, unsweet and sweet tea, and then uh, a little bit of afternoon coffee. So Jim's a phenomenal guy. And I'm glad you enjoy his show. He's, he's, uh, 
you know, we, we he's a great, great uh, analyst, Hall of Fame player, obviously, and uh, does a wonderful job on our podcast. So thanks for recognizing him. Yeah. So, um, you know, start off our show. We've got we've got a number of topics and really want to get in deep into umpiring, catching, um, you know, things that you're seeing in the game now. But I think it's appropriate maybe to start in the middle because you have a unique background, not just as an umpire, but also as a coach. And I want you to share with our audience how that unique perspective makes you, and, and I'm tooting your own horn, um, but makes you invaluable, not just in the games that you're involved with, but also as a little bit of a role model for parents, coaches, umpires, you know, throughout our grassroots generation here. Well, I think what it does, Dave, is it just, it just gives me a perspective and it allows me to take kind of a 10,000 foot view of, of what's really going on. Um, I, you know, I spend, I spend time on the other side of the fence when I'm watching my high school kid play. And I also spend time, you know, in the first base box, helping Shep coach our 12U team with Impact Sports Academy. So I, I just have a lot of, a lot of different looks and I think, it just gives me more perspective and a, and a better overall look of what's what's going on because I understand what the umpire is going through. Um, you know, I understand what it's like to be over in that coach's box. And I just think a lot of parents, they spend a lot of time and, and maybe rightly so focusing just on their kid, um, you know, just on little Johnny playing in that game. And they feel like, they have to live and die with every pitch and they have to live and die with every single call that an umpire makes. And it's mostly out of ignorance because they, they don't understand the role that the umpire plays and that, you know, he doesn't show up to the park and say, well, little Johnny's playing, I'm going to figure out a way to um, screw him over. So, you know, I can make, you know, I can make his dad on the outside of the fence, Matt, you know, they, they show up, wanting to do the best job that they are capable of doing. Now, do some umpires do a better job than others? Um, obviously, yes. Um, you know, do some umpires have a hard time? Yeah, some of them do, but they don't show up and purposely maliciously try to, you know, ruin the game for your kid or, you know, for a particular team. So I think from that perspective, it, 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 it offers me the chance to kind of, be in their shoes. But then also when I'm umpiring, you know, I also understand the frustrations of coaches. You know, I understand, you know, if, if I ball a pitch and the coach is sitting in the dugout and he might chirp a little bit, you know, why he, why he might chirp or why he thought, Hey, that, you know, that pitch looked a lot, a lot better than it did. I mean, I can tell, I can tell just from the first base box, I can tell the way that an umpire sets up behind the plate what pitches were probably going to get called for us and against us and what pitches we're not going to get just by looking and seeing how he sets up. Because if he's not properly set up, he's not going to see pitches the way that he's supposed to. So that allows me to get with my team and basically say, Hey, this is what I noticed. Uh, you're probably going to have to be you know, ready to swing the bats when you get in there because they, aren't going to be seeing this pitch. So you're going to get the pitch that's up called or the pitch down called. So you just have to be ready for that. So it, it, 
it gives me opportunities to teach the kids. It gives me opportunities to teach the umpires that are out there because there's a lot of mentoring opportunities. Um, you know, I always introduce myself to the umpires before the game and I kind of give them a, a brief background of where I'm coming from. And, you know, I also let them know, Hey, look, if, if something happens and you feel like the stadium's getting ready to burn down at the end of the day, I'm an umpire, and at the end of the day, I want to be able to help you guys get it right and get it squared away. So even if the call is going to go against us, I'll get with you guys, and let's get it sorted out, and let's make sure that, you know, we award the bases correctly. Let's make sure that, you know, we don't have any lineups jacked up. Let's make sure that we do things correctly because we want to try to maintain the integrity of the game. Um, I'm not looking to cheat anybody when I'm – helping coach a 12U team where we're trying to mentor kids and we're trying to teach them how to play the game the right way. And, and in a society where, you know, they're influenced by TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and seeing all this stuff, you know, it's a tough job to stay on these kids and keep them dialed into the correct way to, to play the game. Um, that, that's why I'm such a huge fan of what Jeff Fry's doing and I think sometimes he might feel like he's fighting a war with a water pistol, but there's a lot of people out there that, you know, support what he's trying to do and, and want to be, you know, part of the movement. And I think that's what we do with our 12U team. We, we teach them how to play the game the right way. We, we teach them to respect the umpires. Uh, we understand that they're going to make mistakes. And, you know, I try to pass that on to, you know, our parents as well. Um, we don't have the rowdy parents that sit on the outside of the fence screaming and yelling at umpires all game long because it's not something that we promote or put up with or tolerate. And so that all carries over to how we play on the weekends when we go out to different venues to play. Yeah, no, that's. I think that's how we connected on, you know, obviously the show, but connected on some of the Facebook posts where kindred spirits in that regard, you know, you, you touched on Jeff Fry. Jeff had uh, Ted Barrett on the show, longtime MLB umpire, retired. You know, Ted Barrett's not umpiring these these youth games. And as you so eloquently said it, and I'm I, sorry I laughed out loud because that's my one of my favorite catchphrases. No umpire woke up in the morning and said, I'm going to screw little Johnny over at 9 o'clock on field three yeah. today, you know, because that's how he is. But the, the kids are developing. But Ted Barrett's not umpiring those games. You know, talk talk to the point that the umpires are developing too, because that that's true, correct? Well, I think I think what a lot of people don't understand, Dave, is it takes a long time to become fairly proficient at umpiring. And you know, a lot of these kids they'll come to a youth umpire camp. Myself and and Kevin Brown up here in in Wisconsin, we. Every year we work with Appleton Little League and we try to put on a youth clinic. And, you know, this year we had 40 kids show up. Last year we had probably 80 kids show up in like 35 degree weather. So, you know, you try to teach these kids, but I mean, I went to umpire school for five weeks. All right. And it's, it's six days of umpire boot camp. And it's putting in the time to try to learn the basics before you get evaluated. And then they decide if you got what it takes to work in professional baseball. 
and we're we're expecting these kids who are looking at it as you know hey i want to learn how to umpire i can make a quick 35 40 bucks it beats working at you know culver's or mcdonald's or slinging pizzas at domino's or whatever it's a good it's a good uh it's a good part-time gig but the bottom line is is these kids are they're trying to learn how to umpire just like the kids are learning how to play and it's it's a steep learning curve uh it's funny to watch it's funny to watch kids that used to be players and they come to these umpire camps and one of the things that Kevin and I do is we go over the plot, proper plate mechanics and then we put a kid behind the plate and we basically lob a baseball in there to the catcher with a batter standing up there and some of these kids just absolutely freeze up they're like wow and you're looking at them like okay well what's the call was that a ball or a strike and they're looking at you like i don't have a clue so they're they're learning how to play the game now add it to dad's on the outside of the fence and he's screaming and yelling at this kid you know this this kid's 14 15 years old and he's trying to umpire and he's he's scared he's timid and now dad and mom are on the outside of the fence and they're screaming and yelling at him because he screwed over little johnny in a 10u game take step back and take a 10,000 foot view and ask yourself is that really the most healthy environment for all parties involved going on there and like I said, Ted Barrett, Alan Porter, Jerry Davis, and I could name 150 other professional umpires. They're not going to show up to work your games, and somebody has to work these games. All right? If you don't have umpires, you have glorified scrimmages. That's what you have. Because in some, you know, I know in high school, you have to have at least one umpire to be able to have a, a sanctioned game. So we have to have umpires. And there's a learning curve that they go through. Some guys, they're going to work four games, Dave, and they're going to be like, yeah, this sucks. I'm not doing this anymore. This isn't fun. I don't like getting screamed at. Yeah, the money's okay, but I can find something else to do. Other guys, um, you know, I'll take, my, I'll take my son, for instance, and, you know, he's probably a, a unique choice, obviously, because if his dad's an umpire, he's, you know, been around a lot. But... You know, my 16-year-old Lincoln, he's taken a liking to umpiring. And if I'm being brutally honest, he's probably better than I was when I was his age because he's picked it up fast. He's also a catcher, so he understands, you know, what, what a ball and a strike looks like. And, you know, he's somebody that's really taken a liking to it. And if, you know, when his baseball journey ends – you know, I'm hoping that he can continue to umpire at the at the you know high school level or college level. But not not to not to ramble, but I think it's important for parents to understand that there's a shortage of umpires, and there's and, and along with a shortage, there's also a shortage of quality. And trying to catch these kids up to be good enough and proficient is an unrealistic expectation. When a lot of minor league guys, they have to spend, you know, they'll work, they can work anywhere from seven to 800 games in the minor leagues working to become proficient on their strike zone before they're considered to be brought up to, to work in the, in the big leagues. 
So in your in your very narrow view of your specific kid playing, a lot of times parents just fail to understand what what the big picture is. Yeah. And, and that's what causes a lot of the frustration. Yeah. It goes back. I have a favorite phrase that when I, whenever there's a, you know, it's just arguments in sporting events or actually in life. My question is, are you interested in being right or getting it right? And I think that's all umpires are trying to do. Get it right. Right. Um, in the field. When you, when you, you, you mentioned this, um, when you were, when you were, when you were sharing with us that the way you address an umpire or coach, what's the proper way? I mean, in an ideal world, you step onto a field, Brad Thede, the umpire meets Brad Thede, the coach. How, how would, how would you guys introduce yourselves to each other? How would you address them, each other during games? What's the proper decorum? I, I feel, I feel like from an umpire standpoint, um, it, it progresses as you move up higher. Okay. But at the youth levels, I think it's important for umpires to address the coach as coach from a distance, but if he comes out to talk and it's you and me talking, then it's going to be Brad and Dave. But if I have to, if I have to address you because your, your dugout's acting up or you're chirping about balls and strikes, I'm going to address you as, as coach. And I, and I view it this way, especially at the high school level, you know, you get some of these guys, they've been coaching for 30 years. All right. They've earned the title and the right to be called coach. And I feel like if you're coaching and I'm yelling across the field at you and calling you Dave, I feel like that's being disrespectful. Now, if you call time and you come out and you're like, Hey, Brad, you know, what'd you have there? What'd you see there? I'm going to be like, Hey, Dave, this is, this is what I had. This is what I saw. And, And when we're having a conversation from three or four feet away, that's how we do it. Okay. I tell, I tell all my catchers when I'm doing catching lessons, the first thing we do is we go over umpire catcher relationship. And I tell them when you go out, the first thing you do is go find the umpire and you shake his hand and you, and you tell him, Hey, my name is Lincoln. I'm, I'm going to be working really hard for you today. What do you want? What, what's your name or what should I call you? And the umpire will shake his hand. Call me Dave. Call me Bob. Call me Bill. Call me Mr. Smith. Whatever it is, but from that point on, you're fostering a relationship. And I, I think it's important that coaches and umpires, they learn how to address each other because there's this, this it's, it's almost like the Star Wars, um, the evil empire is, is fighting the rebels type, type of adversarial type of perspective. And, it, and it's, it's really sad because as somebody that coaches and somebody that umpires, I've seen it from both sides and there's really no need for everything to be so adversarial. Um, I, I just think we've, we've, the umpire's always been the bad guy in any type of sports, you know, whether it's a basketball game, football game, you know, it's the zebras, it's the stripes, it's blue. It, they, they've always been adversarial and, and there's, I mean, there's a thousand different pejoratives that people can use to describe it depending on which which sport it is but i think it's sad that it's it's promoted to be adversarial all the time and it doesn't it doesn't need to be i i teach my catchers to to build a healthy relationship with the umpire because you have to spend seven innings with that guy back there now 
Is he going to get every pitch right? No. Are you going to have differences on pitches where you want to talk about it? Yeah. But, it, you know, in the end, he's back there working as hard as he can. Um, we touched on it earlier. He's not back there to screw anybody on purpose. So let's let's find a way to work together. And at the end of the day, as a catcher, it's your job to get as many strikes called for your pitcher as possible. So let's figure out the answers to the test and let's figure out how to get that done. But the, but the constant arguing back and forth and, you know, I'm going to throw you out of the game and you suck and you're horrible and all that stuff back and forth. It's, it's, it, it's nonsense to me. And it's, and it's sad. Um, you know, at the big league level, uh, those guys are fighting for jobs. They're getting paid very well. Um, professional sports is entertainment. And so one could argue that the, the arguments and the back and forth is part of the entertainment value that fans pay for to see. But, you know, at the youth level and at the high school level, to me, it's totally unnecessary to be constantly having conflict between umpires and coaches. I agree. I I spent 22 years as a college coach and, and we talked, I, I played minor league baseball and I actually played college basketball too. And I, I, I inadvertently took your approach to things. Uh, I'm glad I did. My, my parents were big influences. So were my coaches, but I found that you, you can get the benefit of the doubt when you treat other people human, <laughs> you know, like you want to be treated. Right. I, I want you to touch on this because I, I want to go into your instruction with catching also, because you, you, you started talking about your son Lincoln and I know you've got a, you, you've got a background in, in teaching that as well. And it goes hand in hand with that umpire relationship with the catcher that can smooth over a lot of things in a game. But I always found it derogatory to address an umpire and baseball anyway as blue. How do you feel about that? I, I don't want to say derogatory. I know in professional baseball, if you go up to, an umpire and call him blue, he's, he's going to have a smart aleck comeback and, and you're, you're probably going to get lit up for, for doing that. Um, in, in professional baseball, everybody's addressed basically on a first name basis. Um, my approach that I shared is more what I feel is more proposed for, um, you know, high school and youth, but, you know, we want at the pro level, everybody's earned the right to be there. Um, a pro umpire's put in a lot of time and he's earned the right to be there. And, you know, in some instances he's put in more time in the minor leagues than, you know, some players have. So let's have some mutual respect and, and call each other by our first name. Yeah. That's what it's about. It's a key phrase, mutual respect. Um, our, our world needs that too nowadays with um, now with catching. Uh, you know, we talked a lot of catching when you and I had our phone conversation and your son's a catcher, so is mine. And um, talk, I guess share with our audience your development. Let's start with the, the whole one knee, um, the whole one knee phenomenon that's going on right now. How do you feel about that? What's your what's your preferred setup for a catcher? And how do you feel about that? I, I'm not a fan of the one knee, but I'll be honest with you, Link uses it in some instances and he he says it helps him a little bit better with with a comfort level of the of the low pitch and I, I guess I'm fine with that but he and I have an agreement that when there's runners on base or there's or there's a chance for a drop third strike that we're going to be working 
out of a secondary stance um, so that we can, we can block the ball. Um, I think one knee down blocking is dumb. It, 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 it doesn't work. You watch all these Instagram videos, the, the guy will set the machine up so that basically every ball is bouncing straight in off the chest protector. And then he'll promote it as, see, look, you can block, you know, off of one knee. Well, of course you can when every ball's bouncing off the turf and hitting the kid right square in the chest protector for, you know, video purposes. Um, the thing with one knee down is it just limits your, it limits your, your mobility. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a, to me, it's a common sense thing is you just can't, you're not going to be able to move and get to pitches, um, you know, as well. And it's funny, I, I, in my interactions on Instagram, one of the things that one of the instructors basically said was, well, you know, when you're, when you're one knee blocking, if you can't get to a pitch, one knee blocking, then that pitch was probably too wild and you weren't going to be able to block it anyway. And I thought to myself, you know, your job back there as a catcher is I got to block every pitch that's possible because if I got a runner on third, if I got to lay out on a pitch that gets away and I basically have to dive to try to knock that ball down, that's what I'm getting quote unquote paid to do as a catcher. So to have this attitude of, well, it's a pitcher's fault because if he threw on that wild, I wasn't going to be able to block it anyways to basically justify being lazy is that's a frustrating perspective and attitude to have. Um, I, I just, I, I just don't understand that. I mean, if we're going to be honest about the catching position, Dave, it's not a sexy position. Okay. And there's three basic skill sets you have to have as a catcher. You got to be able to receive, you got to be able to block, and you got to be able to throw. And then you also have to be cerebral because you have to understand pitching. You have to understand hitting. You have to understand a lot of stuff from that. But as far as a physical thing goes, you're back there grinding for anywhere from six to nine innings, depending on what level you're playing. And you don't get a lot of the glory. If a guy throws a no-hitter, your name's not in the paper. His name is in the paper. And I think the biggest problem with the catching position and the direction it's going is it's a lot of sub it's a it's a lot of sizzle and no substance. Um, you know, we we want to look good, we want to look flashy, we want to yank pitches, we want to block from one knee because you know it looks good, it looks cool. Um, it, I'm going to be on TikTok or Instagram if I'm down on one knee or I got one leg stuck straight out and, you know, I'm catching that pitch. And it's just a backwards, goofed up mentality that we've we've evolved to. And I just think we got to be better and, and we, we have to do better for these kids of, of teaching them the correct way to do it and what what we've basically evolved to is two plus two is five that's where we're at right now with with baseball in general and the catching position and i equate it i equate it to this um you know you're you're going through your your algebra class and you're you don't really care for your professor and in this analogy the umpire is going to be the professor but the 
professor comes up to you and he says, hey, look, I'm going to cut you guys a break and I'm going to give you guys um, the answers to the test for the test coming up. All right. All you guys got to do is take notes, write them down. It's open book test. I'm going to give you the answers to it. And instead, you go to the class clown who's got all the girls hanging on his shoulder. And you go to him and you say, hey, you got the answers to the algebra test? And he's like, oh, yeah. And essentially, the answers to the test is two plus two is five. And you don't like you don't like the professor and you're taught to not like the umpire. But he's given you all the answers to the test and you want to go in a different direction because it doesn't suit you as far as, you know, how you're viewed by your peers and stuff like that. And so we've got we've got a bunch of hallway jocks that are teaching catching right now on Instagram and Facebook, but they don't have any substance to what they're teaching. But the kids love it because it looks cool and it gets TikTok hits and it gets Instagram hits. So that's what I'm going to do. And so I have a very old school approach. I just tell the kids, it's really very simple. Okay. The umpire is going to get down behind you. He's going to track the ball out of the pitcher's hand through the zone. And it's going to hit your glove. And the last thing that he's going to see is your glove. Okay. So If your glove is three balls off the plate and you pull the glove back to the middle of your body, guess what? He saw you move your glove three balls off the plate to the middle of your body. All right. You're telling everybody in the yard you thought it was a ball. Now, let's take a look at, and I'm going to try to paint this picture. It's going to be tough to do it without having to draw it out. But every umpire has a zone for depending on what level that they work. Okay. Theoretically in the big leagues, the zone is 17 inches wide. And if, and if any part of the ball touches the white of the plate, we're going to get it for a strike. Now, do they miss pitches? Of course they do. But in theory, that's the zone. All right. High school, it's going to be a little bit bigger. And then you get down to Babe Ruth and then you get down to little league and you basically have to expand the zone and create your own zone in order to manufacture the flow of the game. Because if you called a 17 inch plate in a little league game, the kids would stand up there and never swing the bat because you don't have any pitchers that can hit that zone. Okay. So we're all going to agree in this conversation that there's different types of strike zones for different levels of play. And I think anybody who's watched any type of baseball game already understands that. Okay. Your job as a catcher is figure out what are we getting called today, okay? I tell Jackson and Lincoln, the first inning, when you go out there, let's figure out what are we getting off the plate, okay? Are we getting a ball off the plate? Are we getting two balls off the plate? What are we getting called to strike? On both sides of the plate, and then figure out what are we getting up and down. And then your job is when you come in, to let your teammates know, hey, look, this is what Jim is calling today. We're getting two balls off the plate. He's a little bit below the shin, and he's got a little bit of a high strike, so let's be ready to swing the bat, okay? That's what, I, that's what I've taught Lincoln. That's what I've taught Jackson to do, and that's what I teach kids to do when I do lessons with them, okay? So now, as a catcher, 
all you have to do is figure out what am I getting called a strike? The, the, the whole idea of framing and yanking pitches is it's a myth. Okay. I know Fry's got some guys on his uh, page that were big league guys and they swear up and down that they're fooling umpires left and right. And out of respect for their resumes, I'm just going to have to say that I respectfully disagree. But when you, when you understand how pitches are called, you understand how little moving your glove has to do with getting a strike called. If, if my strike zone is two balls off the plate and you catch that pitch and now you pull it back to the middle, I was already going to call that pitch two balls off the plate, a strike. So your glove moving has nothing to do with it. So why don't you stick that pitch two balls off the plate? Because if you've been paying attention and understanding where the umpire zone is, you're going to know that two balls off the plate on the outside and a ball off the plate on the inside is already being called a strike. Let's just stick our glove out there and let's stick those pitches and then let's throw them back. And if they're not in that zone that he's calling, instead of, begging for strikes and pulling the glove and yanking the glove and doing all these obnoxious things that don't work anyways. And this goes back to the whole adversarial role. I mean, there, there are guys on social media pages that will tell you that they think that they are deceiving the umpires with this glove movement and that, you know, they're quote unquote stealing strikes. And so that takes me back to the whole, you know, moral, thing that goes with that is why are you teaching kids to try to deceive the umpire or try to trick him? I mean, just, just the whole, just the whole mentality of that's what you're trying to teach the kids is to basically try to trick the umpire or fool the umpire. Now the technique doesn't work. It's never worked. It hasn't worked in 150 years since Abner Doubleday invented baseball but just the notion that you're teaching kids, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna teach kids to work bottom up through the ball because, you know, we're going to steal pitches and we're going to fool the umpire. And essentially the umpires are stupid. And so we know that we're going to get pitches called because we do it that way. I, I, think, I, think, I hate, I can't stand, I hate that just as much as the one knee. I don't, yeah. I don't subscribe to it with my son either. And I think, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. The, I think about it as a like as a shortstop. I was a middle infielder uh, as a college and professional player, and I wanted to keep. Um, I, I didn't want to work that way where I was automatically coming up. I wanted to stay down until the ball forced me to come up. But right. as a player, and I, I talked to pitchers about this. You know, I guess everybody's different, but they're no longer showing that target. They've got that target, then they're dropping their glove down, and they're they're working up. And that's I think that's another problem with blocking right now. They're already automatic, They're automatically robotically moving their glove up. Right down. So anyway, I, I yeah, yeah. Link, well, link, link does kind of a hybrid of the of the of the bottom up. But the difference between the way that he does it and the way that they teach to do it is when he comes up, the second his glove meets the ball, everything stops. So so he comes up and he sticks the pitch, and then he throws it back. They're, the way it's being taught now is you're going to come up through the ball and you're going to basically pull that ball all the way up basically to the center of your body. 
And that's and that's why they think that they're stealing pitches down at the bottom is because they think that the umpire can't see where the quote unquote bottom is. Now, is sticking a pitch for an umpire at the knees is it a good reference point? You know, if they, you know, using the glove, yeah, it is. I mean, if if because if you if you squat down as a catcher, basically the top of your shin guards for for the average size kid is going to be the hollow of the knee for the batter. So if you're working behind a kid and he sticks a pitch basically at his shin guard, your brain can go, okay, that's probably a strike because it crossed at the at the hollow of the knee. But every umpire makes an adjustment. So if you're working through the bottom of the ball and you're and you're sticking shinners and then pulling them back through, all I'm going to do in my mind is I'm going to look, okay, where was first contact made with the glove when the ball hit the glove? I'm going to go, well, it was in the middle of the shin guard on the catcher, so it's probably a shinner on the batter, so I'm going to ball that pitch. And then that catcher is going to come work through the ball, and it's going to be he's going to hold it out in the middle of the plate like he just threw it right down the middle of the plate, and I'm going to tell him it's low. So there's just a it's just a bizarre world that we live in in baseball and specifically in the catching community right now because none of what they can teach they can prove. Um, they can't prove nobody can prove that um, you know yanking a pitch is going to get you more strikes called and their only rebuttal that they have is, oh well, I'm working with a I'm working with a major league catching coach. Oh, that's not proof, okay. Um, you know, my uncle's dad's grandpa's father's brother's sister used that technique and she got a lot of strikes called. Well, that's not proof either. So we, we live in this world now, Dave, where if it's, if somebody said it on TikTok or somebody said it on Instagram or Facebook, or somebody said it on CNN or Fox, then it must be, um, it must be right. And there's no critical thinking and there's no analysis to what's actually going on. And that's the problem. That's the problem we've reached in baseball is we're so hung up on, on numbers and analytics that we're manufacturing numbers and analytics to try to prop up our narratives that we're trying to carry out. Um, I've told people, I've told a number of people this, that, those stealing strikes metrics in the big leagues, they can't be proven, but they look really good when you go into your arbitration hearing and you can sit before the judge and you're a catcher who's looking to try to pick himself up another four or five million dollars a year. And you can try to convince them that, you know, you're stealing nine to 10 strikes a year or whatever that, whatever that metric is. And so when you're, when you're in the system, and you're essentially brainwashed and your dream is to play professional baseball and get paid, you're going to do whatever the people above you tell you to do in order to continue to get that, um, to get that paycheck. So as long as they're dangling the carrot, you're going to keep buying into the narrative, uh, whether you can explain it or whether you actually believe in it or not. And, and that's where we've reached with baseball. I mean, if I, Fry will tell you the same thing with hitting. I mean, these crazy Instagram, Facebook hitting videos are just, I mean, some of them are just absolutely comical when you watch them. Yeah. 
and they can't prove them. Yeah, I'm waiting for, I know you probably know this show, maybe the younger generation doesn't, but I'm, I'm always waiting for Ashton Kushner to jump out of some sort of garbage can behind a curtain and tell him I've been punked for the last two years watching some of this right. stuff. Right. Silly. What, what do you think about, um, as we're staying with the catching position and it, the relation to the umpire, calling a game? It seems to be lost right now. I, like catchers don't call their games. Pitchers, we have had some catching uh, guys in the major leagues that say that it's still going on. But, um, I mean, what, what are you seeing in that regard? I've let – I mean, Lincoln Lincoln called his own – every coach he's ever played for let him call his own game. Uh, and he's, in, he's a sophomore in high school, and he calls his own game to this day. I, I don't – I understand maybe in certain situations with a certain hitter, maybe you want to, um, you know, you, you it's it's the seventh inning and you got bases loaded and you want to pitch a guy a little bit more carefully. I can understand that. But to me, a catcher calling their own game is part of learning and developing the position. And, you know, when we have when we have baseball bingo where the coaches are yelling numbers from the dugout and then you got to flip open your wristband every time to see what the, like what, the what the pitch is um that 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 goes to the the cerebral aspect of catching and to me you're taking that taking that away i mean you're you're basically numbing their brains because those catchers are basically robots now because if the pitching coach isn't over there screaming out numbers and you're not flipping your wristband open, you don't know, you know, you don't know what to call. Now, occasionally, are you gonna are you gonna throw a fastball in a curveball count or a curveball in a fastball count? And is the guy gonna hit a home run or is he gonna hit a double and win the game? Yeah. But that's part of that's part of learning. Yeah. And, right. and when we're not and when we're taking away teaching kids how to call the game and stuff like that, you know, we're, we're not giving them the best opportunity to learn. And here's the thing, Dave, and I'm, and this is obvious. Everybody's not going to play in the big leagues. Everybody's not going to play in the minor leagues. Everybody's not going to play in college. And some kids aren't going to play in high school, but the kids that are playing the game are going to try to play the game as hard as they can. And they're going to try to glean nuggets and and stuff from coaches and they're going to try to enjoy it as part of their youth and their and their childhood so let's let the kids enjoy the game for what it is and if they work hard and they end up excelling and going to the next level then so be it but when we stop the kids from enjoying the game and we stop teaching them we're doing them a great disservice i think it's a great message to all levels of our audience We've had stories of uh, guys on our show that have had top, top prospects, high draft choices come to their first minor league experience and admit to their coach, I've never called a game to this mm-hmm. day. Through Power 5 programs, they've gone through high-level high school programs. There are some out there that do it, but I'm with you on that. My, my son Tanner says to me, too, I ask him, you know, he calls his game. We'll go over it, even if I'm not coaching him. And I'll ask him, what were you thinking here? Just so he's right. learned it. But he, his, his comment to me, I thought was great. I said, why do you think you should be calling the game? And he said, I've got the best seat in the house. I can see everything from here. I can see what's working, what's not working. Mm-hmm. I'd rather throw the wrong pitch in, you know, a wrong pitch well than maybe the pitch that's supposed to be thrown poorly. If I can see a guy, hey, his fastball's not on. I've got to have a little movement on this thing or different location. So 
I, I, I like that approach that, that you're taking. I, I want to um, move into the, to what you do really well. I mean, our audience obviously listens to you and they, they hear how they hear your perspective and how well you see the game, how well you articulate it, but you are, and, and we're a high level umpire. Um, share some umpire stories with us. And then I, if it's okay, I want to talk about what's made you a little disenfranchised with the, the whole profession and, and why, you, why you've chosen to kind of take a little hiatus, so to speak. Uh, I think probably my, my funnest, my funnest umpire stories would be just my umpire school experience down at, at Harry's. Um, I mean, it seems like it was yesterday, but it was, it was five of the toughest weeks of my life because, um, you know, it, it, it's funny. It's umpire school, at least the way it was back then, it reminds me a lot of, um, American idol. Um, you, you come into camp, there's 120 guys and, you know, the 120 guys, there's a, there's a lot of testosterone in there. There's a lot of egos and a lot of guys that, that, you know, they want to try to prove themselves and, you just kind of split the room up. I, I felt like I split it up into thirds. All right. There's a, there's the upper echelon of guys. Um, there's kind of the mid-level guys. And then there's the guys that probably, you know, don't have a chance of doing anything, but they're there because it's, you know, it's a bucket list, it's something they've always wanted to do. They told their wife, they want to go to umpire school. So she said, yeah. And so I'm 60 years old and I'm coming down to umpire school. Okay. But it's super competitive. And, you know, after a while, you kind of feel which group that you gravitate to, because after you talk to some of these guys and you find out how they think, um, you, you know, you, 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 you hang out with like-minded people. And so I gravitated towards the, towards the upper third. Um, and for me, it's so cool, Dave, to see the guys that I went to school with, how many guys got jobs now in the, in the big leagues or are going up and down to fill in. Um, Junior Valentine, who he was top of our class. Um, he actually missed a perfect game the other night by one pitch. Um, an amazing effort. And he's a heck of a, he's a heck of a good umpire. Uh, Malachi Moore. Uh, he was, he was uh, towards the top as well. Now he's got a big league job. So that was, that was probably the funnest time of my life. And I would say the other stories are just, um, you know, going on, going on road trips. Um, you know, you get your schedule and you look and you're like, Hey, I'm going here, I'm going there. And then you're planning and, and looking for, you know, looking for stuff to do. But, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of umpires like to tell ejection stories. I don't have, a lot of ejection stories. Um, I I tried to work really hard on games management and preventative management. So I tried not to get myself in too many situations that required me to to do that. Um, I guess one funny story that I have is I was umpiring a game in the South Atlantic Conference, and I'll I'll leave the teams uh, out of it, but. Um, it was a it was a close ball game, and we were playing at an old stadium that had fencing that went in front of the dugouts, but they were real old style dugouts, and the ceilings were super low. So I'm out in the middle. This kid 
he stops, but it's borderline. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm going to do a little fly by the mound and tell him, Hey, look, you got to give give me a better stop. I told the shortstop, I said, Hey, he's got to give me a better stop. Okay. Shortstop goes by, tells him it's got to stop. Well, very next pitch, he gets on the mound and he rolls right through it. And I call a buck and I look over and the coach for the other team, obviously matter and a hornet. I don't remember the total situation as far as whether it balked in a run or not, but he proceeds to try to jump over the front of the fence of the dugout and knocks his head on the top of the concrete dugout as he's trying to pile over the front of the fence to, to argue. And he comes running out and you can't argue a box. So that was a pretty automatic ejection, but, I'm sitting there the whole time talking to him. And honestly, he's a really good guy. He's a great coach, really good guy. But I'm sitting there the whole time trying not to laugh, thinking about him knocking the, knocking his head and about knocking himself out to get over the fence to get out there. Because he didn't, he wasn't going to take the time to go over to the steps to come out onto the field. He was going to go right over the front of the fence to try to get out there. And it was, the, the whole thing was, it's very comical looking back on it, but it was, pretty tense in the moment, but, um, you know, those are, those are fun stories. Um, you know, one of my, one of my mentors when I lived down in North Carolina was a guy named Paul Larson. He was, um, part of the first ACC staff, um, just a super tremendous guy. He's, he's, he's passed on. Um, but I've had a lot of people coming in and out of my life that have had a tremendous influence on me. Um, as far as umpiring goes and just interactions with them are just some of the good, the the greatest stories. Um, You know, Paul was very good. One thing, you know, one thing he told me is he says, you know, Brad, you got to learn to take the, take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth sometimes. (laughs) Meaning you, you're good and you're going to be good, but you're not great. So when you get around people that are better, you got to learn to shut up and you got to learn to listen. And I'll be honest, I'm not always uh, the best at taking that advice because, you know, we all have moments in life where we, where we kind of like to puff our chests out a little bit, but that's, it's one thing I never forgot with Paul is Paul was always there to, mentor me and part of his mentoring was always making sure to keep me humble and to knock me down a few notches when I needed it. And it made me, it made me a better person and it made me a better umpire for, for today. And, and that's, and that's really, it's really cool. It's a great message, not just for umpires, coaches, but for uh, people in life in general, I, I, I would tend to agree. So, I mean, obviously with this, you and I have talked before, so I know your passion for the game of baseball. I know your passion for umpiring. It came out tenfold today on, on this interview, and, and I appreciate how candid you are. With, with, with all that passion, you still have a lot to give the game. Um, why have you moved a little bit away from umpiring as much as you, you could? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with just kind of the, the – phase that we are with our family life right now. Um, I've got two boys that are heavily involved with playing and, you know, I don't know how long they're going to play. 
I mean, Lincoln's a sophomore at Fox Valley Lutheran. He's been the starting catcher for two years now. And Jackson is a, is a 12 U catcher and I'm actually helping coach his team. And so, you know, up here, up here in Wisconsin, we only have, um, you know, warm weather for like four months out of the year. So it's a lot to try to cram into a short period of time. And so I've kind of redirected myself more to coaching and and watching. Um, And then also, you know, working with Kevin Brown up here uh, to try to put some camps on and try to mentor the, the younger kids and try to build up the, the, the stable of umpires. Uh, You know, you hear it all the time. We've got a, we've got a umpire shortage problem uh, up here in Wisconsin. And I'm sure this is other places too, but in some aspects we have a umpire quantity problem and a quality problem. So I feel like sometimes I'm better served uh, mentoring and teaching than actually working. Um, I, I still fill in when the, when the timber rattlers call, if somebody goes into the concussion protocol or gets hurt, um, I'm on that list that they call. And typically that usually happens in August when the season's winding down and, you know, my season's winding down as well with, with coaching. So it always seems to work out where, you know, they get jammed up and then give me a call and I'm able to, to go work some games. And I really enjoy that. I mean, I'm not, I, those guys that work professional baseball are unbelievably good. Uh, I, I just, it, it's just mind blowing to me how people are so critical of professional baseball umpires because they have no clue how good these guys are. And I'm 47 years old. So, you know, if I get called to fill in in a game, I'm basically going to work with a guy who could probably easily be my son. And you're sitting in the locker room and, you know, they're talking to you about the grind and, you know, here in the Midwest league, you know, you go to Peoria and you go to quad cities and you're, down in Lake County and then you go over to Lansing and so on and so forth. So they're traveling and they're, they're going through the grind. And it's funny because coming up through the, the minors, all they know is shot clock baseball. All right. All they know is challenging balls and strikes. It's all they know. So when you're having conversations with guys that are that young, that have been, influenced by what today's game is and then as someone who's been around a while who's you know seen seen vintage baseball it's it's interesting to try to communicate with them kind of like how baseball used to be and in the baseball that they're now involved in um there's we we have some great conversations in the locker room and you know, last year I worked five games in a row, which was a really cool experience. But the T-Rat Stadium is literally two miles down the road from where I live. So at the end of the, every night, I can go home and see my family and sleep in my bed. And they got to go back to the hotel. And then, you know, they work, they work their six games and then they get on the road and they go live in another hotel. And then they work six games and they get on the road and they go live in another hotel. And so I'm very blessed. The opportunities I have to to fill in and mentor 
And, you know, there's opportunities to teach these young guys, young guys too. Um, I got my first experience with TrackMan last year, which was, was kind of cool. And, and, um, you know, I, I scored a 95.6 and it was fun goofing off with the guy that I was working with because, you know, I'm basically coming in off the street and I was able to, to just be super locked in and just was able to put up a really good, really good score. But, um, you know, that led to discussions for him asking, you know, Hey, you know, what do you do back there? How do you, you know, what do you do to see the ball better so that you can, so that you can, you know, get, get calls more correct. Uh, there's, there's always opportunities to teach and there's always opportunities to be humbled. And there's always opportunities to, to spend pe- time with people that you normally wouldn't get a chance to. And so that, that momentary opportunity when you get to breathe that professional air um, in minor league baseball is a tremendous blessing. And it's just a, it's just a stage in my life right now where I want to spend more time with my family and I want to spend more time mentoring and, you know, probably as the boys get a little bit older, um, you know, the umpire shortage isn't going to go away. So there'll be opportunities for me to, you know, work more high school games and stuff like that and, you know, still stay involved. But for me right now, just being on the fill-in list and working a, a, a men's league game here and there, or working a high school game here and there is that that's, that's good enough for me right now. Well, I think it's refreshing. I, your, your children are obviously lucky to have you around that very important stages of their life, not just in, in baseball, but life in general. So I give you a lot of credit for making that, that decision uh, consciously, but uh, the world needs a few more of you out there. So, um, you know, can't, um, I don't want to wish your children to grow up quickly, but I can't wait till you're, you're, uh, you've, you've grabbed this whole generation of mentoring and hopefully they're moved into the umpire world or leadership positions somewhere in their vocation. Any, any parting shots for Ron? You've been gracious with your time and I appreciate almost an hour you gave us today and any parting shots you want to give to our audience? I think, I think the only thing is, is, is if you're interested in becoming an umpire, um, there's a lot of opportunities out there for you, and there, the opportunity to for a for a part time job is great, but it's also an excellent opportunity for you to give back to the game. Um, if you if you're a former player and you've basically reached the end of your playing career and you're still looking to be involved in the game and it's not in the in the area of coaching, um, take a serious look at at umpiring. And try to find yourself a mentor. Try to find yourself somebody that you can get in their back pocket and learn how to do it well. Because as I said in the beginning, it's a steep learning curve. Um, You have to put in a lot of work to get better fast. But if you've got the willingness to do it, um, there's a lot of opportunities out there for you. And so don't, you know, and don't buy into this whole umpires are the villain um, we got to have umpires. I mean, if 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 you don't have officials to work youth sports, you're not going to have youth sports. So I, I guess I would say stop being the guy that just blows up umpires and basketball officials and football officials all the time and try to figure out how to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. I like that. That's good. It's 
I think uh, messages were loud and clear today, and I appreciate you sharing all that with us. Um, I know our audience is going to love this spotlight interview. Just want to thank our audience again, 17,400 subscribers. This is going to go up today, especially with Brad Thede's interview. I know it's going to it's going to catch on out there. Make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review so we can challenge the analytics of the podcast world, much like we do in, in baseball. We can keep giving you great content like we have today with, with Brad's interview. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Uh, those are our streaming devices. If you have another one, let me know. I'll subscribe to it. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is the way you can reach the show. I got the one question of the day. Today's question was on perspective perspective um, as it pertains to moving obstacles in your pursuit of a goal. We're in 72 countries now, grassroots all the way to Major League Baseball front offices. We've got the people's ear and all we're trying to do is better build a better baseball IQ. And as I mentioned before the show, when you listen to our shows, prepare to hear some uncomfortable truths about baseball and life in general, because none of our shows have any time for the comfortable lies. And episode 177 here on Real Voices of the Game Network, uh, Brad, I appreciate your candidness today, and you know I got smarter, and uh, and, and I'm, I know our audience to do. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, I appreciate it, Dave. And um, if there's any any other opportunity ever to come on and join you or or anybody else, I, I would love the opportunity. And um, your your influence on social media is a is a tremendous blessing. I try to share everything that you get out there. Your question of the day is. Um, probably one of the highlights of my day when I get that because it's there's some good good content in there. So thank you for that and thank you for the opportunity to offer a, a different perspective on something that a lot of people frankly don't understand. Well, I agree totally. And we're definitely going to have you back. We're going to call you on that. So I think we've got so many more directions we could take with your experiences in baseball. And uh, I appreciate you offering that up. We are going to call you back many times. So thank you again, Brett. And with our audience, this is a wrap. Episode 177, Real Voices of the Game, a spotlight interview with Brad Thede, longtime umpire. Doing what you love has a high price to pay. Some put on a suit, but he 